God, we pray that we'd help us to understand it the way you meant it for us. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be encouraged but also strengthened in our walk. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been um, doing, uh, walking through a series called Unseen Enemy, and it's looking at this idea about the armor of God. And we're going to continue on, and let's, but let's recap what we talked about last week. Last week, we looked at this idea of our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I said to you that the word that the Paul uses for readiness is actually a Greek word. And the Greek word actually means to have a firm foundation. When we think about readiness, we think about ready, go. But Paul's not saying that. Paul's saying, where you are standing, make sure you have a firm foundation. We talked about how the gospel of peace is a defense against the enemy who will attack with fear. And that was really what we, we, we want to kind of wrap our minds around, is the opposite of, of peace is not war, it's actually fear. Uh, we looked at this passage um, from 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love dries out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And one of the things we fear from God, if we have this idea about God, is this concept about how we are unworthy and, and we are sinful, therefore God is, is looking to punish us. And why that is part of the truth, that's not the whole truth. And the enemy wants to kind of move us away from that truth. And we wrapped up with this passage from Hebrew, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2. And I love what it says here. It says, he came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, what's great about this passage, what's great about this way of kind of wrapping the series up is that one of the things that the enemy wants to do is in our world that we live in, our lives that we live in, we are broken and we are fallen. And he uses that brokenness and fallenness to push us away from God. And the peace that we experience is this peace that is preached to those who are far from faith or those who are very close to faith. And that, and that peace gives us access. That's the key word. Is that what we have to always keep in mind is that we have access to God. And that when we think of sin as a barrier, the devil wants to build this brick wall between us and God, brick by brick, and he wants to push us away from God. And what we want to understand with peace is that when we have peace with us, we have peace to realize that, that Jesus has already accomplished all that he has to accomplish for us to give us access to the Father. Now, we want to continue on in verse 16. And uh, it says, actually, this one's going to be kind of a, uh, an interesting one because we're talking about faith this morning. And verse 16 says this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is going to be an interesting one because faith is a concept, it's something we talk about a lot. But I think when Paul uses it, and especially places it where he does, he's giving us a bit of a different emphasis. But of course, as we do every week, let me introduce you to the Roman shield. Now, when we think of shields, we think of these small round things. The Romans had these shields that were literally the size of a door. Uh, one, one historian said that the Romans, the soldiers, the infantry soldiers would have a joke. That the front line would have these shields and they would place them. And you have to remember, imagine a shield wall with these large uh, uh, wooden shields. And they would they call the shields doors. And so when the enemy would hit the door, 
the, so, the soldiers would say to each other, someone's knocking on the door, go see who it is, right? And basically go kill whoever's on the other side of the door, right? These shields were huge, right? Uh, the shields were called the scutum. An imperial scutum comprised strips of bent wood steamed over, formed into a convex curve to deflect blows and missiles. The face was covered in hide, its edges bound in raw hide or iron with a round central boss of bronze, brass, or iron to kind of take the brunt of the impact. So when, when Paul's talking about the shield of faith, he's not talking about like the Captain America round type of shield. He's talking about this image of this, this enormous shield. And again, picture in your mind the, 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 legions, the Roman legions, when they would face the enemy, there'd be these rows upon rows of these shields that would literally be a wall that the enemy would have to try to get through to get to them. And this is what Paul is talking about. So let's kind of walk through this passage and see if we kind of, kind of dig a little bit deeper here. Now, when Paul starts off, he says, in addition to all this, in some passages, in some translations, he says, above all. Now, what I think is interesting about this is that Paul should have started with the shield. Instead, he includes it halfway through. When you're talking about Roman armor, shield, the shield and the sword may be the two more important things, right? But when we talk about the shield, Paul talks about it halfway down. And I think the reason he does is that Paul doesn't want to get to faith too soon. You ever had that talk with someone when you, when you have a doubt in your life and the, and, the, and the response they have is just believe? How unsatisfying is that as an answer for us as, as Christ followers? That when, someone, when you have a question about our faith and you have a question about Christianity, when someone says, oh, just believe. I want you to know that, that those two words, just believe, drove me away from the church when I was a teenager. When I was a teenager growing up, I'd left the church for a period of time to explore other faiths because when I was asking people questions about my faith, they would say to me, oh, just believe, just believe. Well, where did the Bible come from and, 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 and how do we understand this? No, no, just believe, just believe. Those two words drove me away from my faith, drove me away from Christianity as a teenager because that was very unsatisfying. And I think the reason Paul puts faith where he does is because he doesn't want us to get so wrapped up in faith to forget that there's other aspects of armor that God wants for us. Um, when we talk about the shield of faith, because when we said in this entire series is that we don't want to overemphasize the armor. Remember, Paul is using a Roman soldier and an infantry soldier to kind of paint us a picture. But what he's painting us a picture of is not the armor, but the attacks of the enemy, right? So we've been talking about fear. We've been talking about uh, um, different things that, that the enemy wants to attack us with. Well, the, the, the attack of uh, the defense of faith is for the attack of doubt. I love it how Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 14, remember Peter, right? Peter takes his leap of faith. But the leap of faith is not enough. He's walking on the water and, and he's seeing the storm around him and he begins to, to sink. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So the next attack that we need to wrap our mind around with the enemy is doubt. And if we, if we were honest with ourselves, we all have doubts about our faith. As a matter of fact, I would say to you, if you do not have doubts of your faith, you have not thought deeply enough. Um, in the 80s, Christianity kind of went on this really interesting tangent. And the tangent was, is if we could create this argument, this perfect argument to discuss people, to, to, to tell people about our faith, they will believe. 
I get many emails from people saying, oh, a friend of mine asked me this question, or I have this question. And, and if, if, I, if I just had the answer, then they'll believe. Now, I want you to know something. There is no discussion, there is no truth that you can tell a person. There's no conversation, there's no dialogue. Uh, we call this type of thinking apologetics. Apologetics are really important, and we need to understand why we believe what we believe. But an argument is not going to convince somebody of, uh, of faith and about, about Jesus. I've had so many different conversations with people. And of course, since I've studied this for many, many years, um, not that I know everything, I, I, I do know quite a bit. And so I had these conversations with people. And, and at the end of it, they're like, oh, okay, I see where I was wrong. But they don't fall to their knees and go, oh, now I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Savior. Because... It's not just simply a head knowledge. We have to make sure we understand that. Faith is not just simply a mental assent of to what God is. There is more to it than that. And so when we talk about this idea of doubts, we have to be honest with doubts. A church has not held doubt, has not handled doubt properly. We've tried to push doubt down into the furthest corners of, of the church and of, of dialogue, of conversation. And, and again, we use the phrase, just believe. Oh, I, I don't know the answer to that, just believe. There's two parts to this. One thing is that we don't have all the answers. And in and, and many ways, we need to kind of look back at the medieval church. They emphasize the mystery and the majesty of God. There is a mystery to God, and I want you to know that. There is a part of us that does not have all the answers. You'll ask me a question, why does God do this? Why does this have to happen? And my response is, I'm not sure. I don't understand why the suffering and the pain that you walk through. I don't understand why this has to happen. I don't get it. And for you, you you just want an answer. You want a nice and tidy answer. Why did I lose my job? Why did this relationship fall through? Why does this health issue? Why is my finance? Why, why, why? And I wish I had an answer for you, but I don't. But this falls under the category of the mystery of who God is. We must always make sure we don't try to make God in our image, but instead worship him for who he is. So the shield of faith is meant to protect us from the battle of doubt. But now, what does doubt really do? There's a couple of things I think we need to understand about doubt. The first thing I think we need to understand about doubt is distance creates doubt. That as we walk away from God, that the distance between us and God is, is what kind of fosters, is a kind of the catalyst for doubt. What happens in the garden when Adam and Eve sin? What happens is, is they hide from, from God. And what was the question that the serpent asked? Did God really say? Don't you doubt God's truth, Eve? Don't you doubt God's truth, Adam? And it was that, it was that question of doubt that drove them out from God. So that when God came back in the garden. Remember, the, remember we talked about this last week? Where are you? And the man answers, we hid from you. Doubt creates distance in our lives. The other thing we need to understand about doubt. Is doubt devours stagnant faith. What I find with people who are uh, doubting their faith a lot. Are, are people who have not really moved on in their faith. Now when we talk about stagnant faith. Here's what I want you to know. Stagnant faith is everywhere in our culture. Stagnant faith is this idea that maybe, I don't know when you became a Christ follower. I don't know, uh, and maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I have not yet made that, uh, that decision. That's fine too. But at some point in time, most of you in this room made the decision to make Jesus the focus of your life. Now, the question I have for you, what have you done since that moment? 
I, I, I referenced this before, but of course, I've, I've been a youth pastor for many, many years. And as a youth pastor, you know, you go away on retreats with the youth and they come back and they're so excited. They're so, you know, this or, or young adults at junior highs are so excited in their faith, right? And parents will come up to me and say the same thing every stinking time. They'll say, oh, thank you so much for taking my youth. They're so excited for the Lord. I remember when I went away on a retreat. I remember when I was at a camp and I felt God speak to me. And my response is things I think, but I don't say. And I know you may think that that, uh, that's a very short list, but it's actually bigger than you imagine, right? But the things I think that I don't say are, is this. What have you done since then? What have you done since then with your faith? Yes, you can acknowledge Christ as your Savior. Yes, you can have this moment of intimacy with God. But have you grown in your faith? And I find that doubt devours stagnant faith. The people who have the most amount of doubts in, the, in, in their life are people who are, who are, who are, who are in, inactive in their faith. And what I mean by inactivity is not that you need to be doing stuff, like, oh, I need to be an usher, I, I need to, to do something. No, it's not the doing, it's the growing. And the growing is the learning, the, I, the, the stance of disciple. I have this series in my mind that I really want to do at one point in time, is looking at the term disciple. Because when you start breaking apart this term uh, uh, of this of, of disciple, you realize that there's so much more to being a disciple of Christ than just simply making the statement of, yes, I believe in Jesus. Or, yes, I've attended church on Sunday morning. There's a, that, there's a box checked off in my life, and I'm now ready to move on. The word disciple is, is this multi-layered concept. The Old Testament and, and the New Testament, they understood it. We have kind of misplaced this, this reality for it. Doubt devours stagnant faith. And here's the other thing. Doubt grows in isolation. People who doubt the most are the people who have left faith, left the community in conversation. Now, as I said to you before a second ago, church has not handled doubt very well. And when someone questions, we say things like, oh, well, they didn't, their, their faith wasn't strong enough. Oh, they don't, they, they don't know. And then we, we have not had the proper conversations as we should. We need to invite people with doubts to be honest with them. One of the things I love about the testimonies, I love Ryan's testimony this morning and every testimony since then, is people standing here say the same thing. Is that, you know what, my faith isn't perfect. My faith isn't perfect. I don't know if I have all the answers. And that's an honest conversation. And that's a conversation I would rather have. You know the conversations I hate having? Are the conversations that people have all the answers. Oh, I, you know, I just, I believe, I, I, I figured all, all things out. I'm like, really? You figured it all out? Well, maybe I need to sit at your feet and you teach me because I haven't figured it all out. I want you to know, as a pastor, I have doubts. I have doubts. I, I have, um, one of the things I've realized about this series is that every week as I'm teaching you something, the Lord literally kind of tears my life apart before I teach to you. This entire week leading up to it, even as I'm sitting here this morning, I'm like, I'm doubting that I, I, I've learned, I've, I'm gonna, my, my teaching this morning on faith is going to be any, impactful to you. I'm doubting that I've wrapped my mind, I, 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 my doubts, they tear me up. They do, and I want you to know that. As, as, as a pastor, as a professional Christian, as somebody who has been a Christ follower for many years, I doubt, I have doubts. I doubt myself. I doubt my abilities. I doubt my, my walk with God sometimes. I doubt that I'm not passionate. I doubt I, doubt I grow enough. I doubt that, that I, I doubt. But my doubts don't overrule my faith. They are in my conversation. They're part of my life. And I acknowledge them. When you read through the Psalms, what is David talking about? He's talking about his doubts. Lord, where are you as, my, as the enemies surround me? Lord, do you hear? One time, David accuses, Jesus, accuses God of being deaf. 
Are you asleep, God? How many times have you had that conversation? How many times have you had the conversation with Lord, with, with God? God, uh, do you even understand my situation right now? Do you understand what I'm going through? When life goes off on a tangent we did not expect, what's the first thing we say to God? Are you, are you, are you aware of this? <laughs> and sometimes when you think of 7 billion people on this planet, we say to ourselves, maybe God is busy. Maybe he's busy with that person or that thing. Maybe God has forgotten about me. And the enemy uses those doubts and they eat away at us and they, and they gnaw away at our faith. I think when we talk about doubt, I think these three things pop to my mind about doubt. So we talk about doubt, but we have to also say to ourselves, what faith is it? Because when we talk about faith, we have to make sure we, we, we are honest about the conversation of faith. Because again, church says, just believe. Just believe. And the just believe part is there, is, is this idea of trusting. But it's not as often, we don't have to say that word as often as we like. So one of the things we have to ask ourselves about faith is, one of the things we need to say about faith is faith is not a barrier against suffering. When I was growing up in the church, I remember this person who was sick in our church. And I remember everybody gathered around and praying and prayed and we prayed. And I remember our pastor who said something he should never have said from the front. He said, you know what, if, we, if church, if you have enough faith, God's going God's to do this. That is the dumbest thing any human being could ever say. Because what you are doing in that moment is you are stepping into the shoes of God. And you cannot. So the pastor says, oh, we need to blame. And I'll tell you right now, you know how the story ends out. A month later, this person dies. And of course, yes, I laughed too. I'm like, what? I'm like, the pastor said to us that we had enough faith. So then we look, who didn't have enough faith? Who's hiding sin in the camp? Let's dig up the, the tents to find out who has sin in their camp, right? Because what happens when you have doubts? The enemy comes along and says, because you don't have enough faith, that's why God doesn't do this. And do you know what we all do? You're right. I don't have enough faith. So maybe this is why this is happening in my life. Maybe maybe this is happening in my life because I don't have enough faith. But see, the Bible has the opposite way of looking at it. The Bible teaches us that our faith and suffering, there's not a correlation as much as you think there is. I love how Peter, and again, this is Peter. This is the guy that, that messes up so often in front of, of the disciples. This is the guy in, 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 his, in his life before he's martyred, before he's crucified upside down. That's how that tradition teaches us. That's how Peter uh, lost his life. This is Peter writing, and I love what he has to say because I think he is, is saying it to himself. Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You know what people say to me when, when people say, oh, you know, if you just believe you have faith that God's going to provide. My response is, what about Christians in Africa? Do they not have enough faith? What about those believers who, who, who have horrible things happen around, around the world? Right? We, we, we say, oh, if we believe, God will provide for us. And that is so trite. That is so shallow. Because I know I've met people in other countries who are Christ followers, who love Jesus, who have nothing. And I will say to you, have way more faith than I do. Do I look at them saying, oh, you're not believing strong enough? If you just, if you believe strong enough, God will provide you that home, that house, that food, that job, that income. Why? Because we're so trained to be outcome-based people in North America. If you believe strong enough, then God's going to overcome this. 
And please hear me. Faith is not the, 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 the missing of suffering. Faith is what happens during suffering. And so as a church, we need to make sure we understand that. Uh, the shield of faith is not a barrier against suffering. The other thing uh, the shield of faith isn't is the ability to change the outcome. I've mentioned it before, but whatever you are going through in your life, and I know that you are because you're human and, and I'm human, and because we're human and because we love Jesus, the enemy is looking for every way he can slip us up. Whatever you are going through, please understand something. Your faith may not change the outcome of the situation. If you're in a relationship that is teetering on the brink and, and you don't know what's going to happen, your faith is not going to be able to overcome that. And at work, if things are not going the way you think they are and, and there's some cutbacks and all that, your faith is not going to overcome the situation because that's not what faith does. Faith is not simply about saying, oh, if I believe enough, if I, if I, if I, if I have this much faith, then I will, the situation will change. That's not what faith does. I've made mention of this passage, and when I die... This is going to be on my tombstone. It's going to be very expensive. It's going to be lots of words. Um, this, is an, uh, this, is, this is the thesis statement of my faith. This is the thesis statement of my life. Look at this. This is the moment of time where Shadrach, Meshach, and Menego stand before a king, shake their fist at the most powerful man in the world, and say this. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Please, please look at this. Please memorize this, okay? Because in your moments of stress, in your moments of, of, of trials, of temptations, you know that God can take away and alleviate the suffering you're going through. But if your faith is, is hinged, is dependent upon that, it's a faith that's going to be disappointed. These three guys, they didn't know the next few verses. They didn't know they were going to survive this ordeal. And they were honest. They said, King, listen. We're not going to serve you. We're not going to do what you want. Because our, our, our God is able to protect us. If they left it at that point in time, that's what, we, that's what we tend to do. But the next line says, but even if he does not, even if God does not keep us or, or keep us from this, this suffering, this ordeal, he's still God and we're still going to worship him. Faith is not the ability to change the outcome. Many of you are, are struggling with things in your lives. There's, there's, there's things you have and you've placed before God and you said, Lord, please, please, Lord. And it's silence. And it's unchanging. And then what happens is, is we look at that and we go, like, oh, well, maybe it's me. Maybe God's mad at me. Maybe I don't have enough faith. And we turn it inwards and the enemy takes that and he uses those doubts. He says, yes, it's you. Of course it's you. How could God love you? What do you mean God's going to do this for you? Why? Of course not. And we go, oh. And all the enemy does, it drives us away from God with doubt because we don't understand the proper usage of the idea of faith. Faith is the ability not to change the outcome. And finally, faith is not the denial of the truth. Truth is this. You will go through times in your life that you are going to be unpleasant. You will suffer things that you don't even imagine. And you do not deserve it. You do not ask for it. It was maybe a decision of someone else. That's just the way it goes. 
but that does not omit from what God wants to do in your life. As a matter of fact, I would say to you that when we think about our lives, when we think about our journeys of faith, we need to make sure that we, 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 we hold this tension. And this tension is what we, we live in. The tension is what is and what could be. And in the middle of those two statements is God. What is is what you're going through. What could be is what you hope to happen, what you, what you would like to see happen. But what takes place in the middle of that is what God wants to do in your life. And sometimes you're saying, Lord, if you could do this, if you could change this, God's like, if I did that, you would miss out on this opportunity for strengthening of your faith. If, if I took this away, if I, and you're like, and of course, as, as, as people who don't know the full story, we shake our fists at God, right? Any parent in this room knows that when we set boundaries up for your kids, they look at you and say, but if I just had that candy, if I just had that thing, if I just had this, 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 this thing that is fleeting, is momentary, if I just had that, I'd be so happy, and I know that you would love me. And as a parent, we go, just so you know, as a parent, by not allowing you to have that, you may not be happy, but it's going to be better for you in your life. That's a tough thing as a parent. As a matter of fact, that is probably the toughest thing as a parent, is to deny our children anything. That's just tough. But as a parent, we make the decision. We say, yes, you may want this thing, this shiny thing in your life. But it's not going to do what you think it's going to do, and it's probably going to be bad for you. God does the same thing for us. Lord, if I had this relationship, if I had this job, if I had, if I had this marks in this course, if I, if I knew I had this job after I graduate, Lord, if I had all these things, then I would believe in you, and I'd have faith in you. And God's like, that's not how faith works. And if I grant you, give you what you ask for, it actually may drive you away from me, actually, rather than pulling you closer to me. So these are all the things we talk about denial of truth. I love what First John says. The me- this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Hear this. Okay? God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. Sometimes we place very sinister motives to God, don't we? Maybe God's bad at me. Maybe God wants to give me acne because I'm going on this big date. Maybe God wants to give me this boss in my life because he wants to torture me. And we, we assign to God sinister motives. And sometimes we need to remind it that this, in him there is no darkness. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and we do not live in the truth. Do not assign to God dark ulterior motives. God does not have a handlebar mustache in heaven. He's like, Mwahaha. wait till they go to work tomorrow. They don't know what's in store for them, right? You laugh, but you think it sometimes in the dark places of your heart. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe, maybe this doesn't happen. Faith isn't the denial of the truth, and nor could it ever be. Before we kind of talk about what faith is, let me just point out one thing to you. Paul uses a very interesting phrase in here, and I actually, I really struggled making sense of what Paul's talking about. Extinguishing all the flaming arrows. Now, did you know that in Paul's day that the Romans had figured out how to create flaming arrows? You've seen it in movies, right? You see these, these arrows of, 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 of flame. And, and they were such an effective method of, of destruction, right? Whether it's on, uh, on, on an army or a town or in a siege, it, it was incredible, right? Paul could have, and I've seen this in the scriptures, Paul could have said, extinguish all, he could have said, the shield of faith would protect you from all of Satan's arrows. But instead he uses flames, and I thought that was interesting because it seems to be very, like, like the flaming arrow was a part of the Roman arsenal, 
but it wasn't the, the, the most destructive one. Like there's something called a ballista, which have these huge uh, arrows that they would have these, made these machines that would crank back. And Paul could have used that for this phrase, but he doesn't. He uses flaming arrows. And I think there's a reason for that. Because I think one of the things that flames do is flames ignite dry faith. You know what dry faith is? Dry faith is faith that's not tested. Dry faith is, is faith that is not really based upon a belief in God, but based upon our abilities. A dry faith is this idea that, that, that we, we, we have a way of looking at it, right? Now, look at this, right? Whenever the Bible talks about closeness to God, for lack of a better word, there's a moistness to it. Right? Now, look. Look at Isaiah 58. The Lord will guide you as always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. It will strengthen your frame. You'll be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Psalm 63. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. John chapter 4, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's this idea of imagery. And again, Middle Eastern uh, thinking, right? Water was life to these people. They are surrounded by desert. Habitations would, would be set up where water was. And I think the reason why Paul uses flaming arrows is because flames will ignite that which is dry. And the Bible uses this image of dryness as being outside of God's presence. So when Paul's saying they extinguish the flaming arrows, what he's trying to say is that those who are, are, are near to God are moist. You glisten with God's presence. Again, all these images are like way too weird. I get that, right? But understand something, right? Jesus says that you are a spring of water. A flaming arrow in a spring of water is, is extinguished immediately. In a dry and parched land, God's presence is like a cool, cold drink on a hot summer's day. And a flaming arrow will ignite dry faith. And some of your faith is dry. Because it lacks God's spirit, his presence in your life. You lack a moistness in your life. And I just simply mean that by saying you're not spending time with Jesus. You're not digging into the word. You're not in community. You're not, you're not, you're not finding those times of, 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 of that moistness. Flaming arrows ignite dry faith. Now here's what I want you to know about faith. Faith shields our heart, mind, and spirits. From the attack of doubt. Now, if you are a student of the Bible, you have known that there's a, there's a chapter called Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 is what we call the chapter of faith. It's this incredible chapter that goes through all these exploits of men and women of faith. And I've purposely avoided this chapter up until this point in time. Because I don't want to go there immediately. Because I want to kind of build up for you how I think Paul wants us to understand the shield of faith. But here's what I want you to understand. Faith protects our heart mind, and spirits from the attacks of doubt. And I want Hebrews 11 to kind of walk us through this. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is a confidence of what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. Confidence of what we hope for, assurance of what we do not see. What we need to understand is faith protects our heart from doubt. Because when you do not see the outcome in your life, you have the assurance to know that God is with you. 
And in the times of your life where you are, you are lacking, you are, you are sick, you are in, in times of crisis, that assurance is what protects your heart. Because sometimes we have to say to our hearts, you know what? You can't see it right now, but God is still in our lives. In the moments of our, of our temptation, in the moments of our falling and our failing, God is there. And faith is what protects our heart. The assurance of knowing that our relationship with God has not been severed because of our sin. Jesus didn't die on the cross because of your goodness. He died on the cross because of your need for a savior. When we talk about our mind, look what verse 3 says. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. By faith, we understand. Sometimes we have to say to our brains, brains, shut yourselves down for a second. Brains, slow your roll for a second. Because you're looking at the the outcome of our lives and you're saying, where's God? I don't understand. I don't understand. And what we need to say instead is know this, is that God created everything Everything that is seen from what is unseen. And if God can do that, he can sustain us. Not outcome-based sustenance. But he can sustain us. Even if, even if your life is taken from you, you are still victorious. Because then, as we sang with it as well, and I... I love that hymn. You're like, you're like, oh, hymns are so old. The theology of that hymn is spectacular. Because the last line, remember, this is the guy, Horatio Spafford, writing this, right? Horatio lost his wife and his daughters in, 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 in a uh, boat that sank, right? His world is, is, is completely undone. And he can write this hymn, It is well with my soul. Because the last verse is, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. That's the end of time. That is our faith becoming sight. And even if our lives are taken from us, and I don't know how long we have, and my prayer is that all of you have a long life. But whatever moment that time is, is to come where your life is called, required of you, it's not in fear, it's not in doubt but it's the assurance of what God has for us. And finally, verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith is a choice. It's It's the ascent of our wills to God. It is impossible to please God without faith. It is impossible to be a Christ follower without faith. You can come in this morning, we can't show you God. We can't. We can't convince you. I can't give you an argument enough, convincing enough to make you fall to your knees and declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But faith is what you need. Faith is what is required of you to make that leap into what God wants for you. And let me close this morning with verse 13. Because verse 13 of that is something people forget about the chapter of faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. What that means? They never saw the promise come. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Now look at this last line. 
at admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Isn't that beautiful? What, 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 what's the writer saying? Whoever wrote Hebrews is saying this. The people we talk about in the, in, in the chapter of faith, sometimes God didn't come through the way they thought. God did not have their timetable. God did not do what they expected. And they acknowledge that by saying, my time on this earth, I'm a foreigner, I'm a stranger here. My real home is in heaven. And when I finally stand before God, I will have complete knowledge. Because complete knowledge means complete relationship with God with no barriers. That's what we look for. And that's when our faith shall be sight. Let's pray. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we do this every week. And I want you just to take a moment now just to think. In this room, there are people with doubts. But maybe this morning, your doubts have driven you away from God without realizing it. Maybe without realizing it, you have been living an outcome-based faith and God has disappointed you. You've been disappointed with God because he has not come through the way you thought he should. And the enemy knows that. He's used that like a crowbar to pry you away from what God wants. Maybe this morning you are dry. You are living in a dry and thirsty land, a parched land, and you haven't even realized it. And your doubts eat away at you, but you have not pressed into God's presence. You have not pressed into what he wants for you. I don't understand how God works. I confess that to you openly and honestly. I don't understand his will and his plan sometimes. But I do trust my creator. I don't know what he has for me. I don't know what he has for you. But I trust him. And my shield of faith is firmly in place. Not because I can see over top of it. Not because I can see the future. But because I trust my God. In him there is no darkness. Dear Lord Jesus, I pray for each person in this room this morning. I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to our hearts and to our minds. God, for those who are struggling with doubts, those who are looking for an answer they have not yet received, and maybe that answer they've been looking for is a wall that's kept them from relationship with you. God, I pray that you would plant within them this morning the seed of faith. And that faith would grow and would become, would become a river in their lives that would just, would just begin to water. Lord, I pray, God, that they would know that they may not have all the answers, but they have enough to trust in you, Lord Jesus. And God, please forgive us for being outcome-based believers. Lord, we trust you when you do what we want. No, no, that's not what we are. Lord, we trust you, period, because you are God. You are the creator and we are your creation and we acknowledge that. And Lord, whether in this life or the next, we trust you. And God, I pray against anyone here who has allowed doubts to destroy their faith, to, to ignite their dry faith. I pray in Jesus' name now that you would speak truth, you'd speak restored relationship into this room. Thank you, Lord, that you are good, that you are that you are worthy of our worship and our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.